You're listening to a podcast by the Leadership Ministry Team at Texas Methodist Foundation. Texas Methodist Foundation's leadership ministry connects diverse, high-capacity leaders in conversations and environments that create a network of courage, learning, and innovation in order to help the church lean into its God-appointed mission. For more information, visit tmf-fdn.org. As I sit at my desk looking out the window, I can see the first reservoir dug on this farm where I live. It's surrounded by oak and mesquite trees and provides water both to our cattle and to the native wildlife. Nearby is a well. It was probably drilled about the time I was born, almost three quarters of a century ago. It's still powered by an old windmill pulling water from deep in the earth and sending it into a concrete cistern which overflows into the reservoir. Most of the time, cattle drink from the cistern. However, when the wind doesn't blow for three or four days or we're in a drought, the cistern is much smaller and quickly runs dry. In those times, these reservoirs Uh, we call them tanks in South Texas, are a saving grace for every living creature. When a normal water supply is not adequate or available, these reservoirs make up the difference. In our area, the deer, coyotes, birds, small animals, fish, frogs, turtles, all who live in or near these reservoirs testify to their continuity and their generosity through the years. These tanks or reservoirs expand the resilience of the land to sustain life until a new normal presents itself. This podcast is about resilience. Resilience in a season when ordinary sources of spiritual nourishment are not adequate to the uncertainty and loss so many people are experiencing. For people of faith to thrive in such a time and continue to build toward the world that God imagines, I believe we will need to drink deeply from reservoirs of the Spirit particularly the dimensions of hope, purpose, and courage. Welcome to Reservoirs of Resilience. I'm Lisa Greenwood, Vice President of Leadership Ministry at TMF. You just heard Bishop Janice Huey reading from her recent publication entitled Reservoirs of Resilience, which of course inspired this podcast. In these unprecedented times, we know we need resilience to keep going. As people of faith, as leaders of faith, what does resilience even look like? What does it mean not to just survive through these trying times, but to thrive? And even to strive, especially now, for the world that God imagines. Through the six episodes of this podcast, we will explore the depths of resilience. Each episode will follow a similar rhythm, Bishop Huey will share a brief reflection to set up our topic for the episode. Then we'll have a conversation with a guest or guests. 
and we'll end the episode by sharing some of our takeaways from the conversation. You'll hear a lot about drawing from reservoirs. So in that spirit, we wanted to offer you a deep well, a reservoir, if you will, of inspiration. So each week, we'll be releasing bonus episodes where you'll hear incredible personal stories of resilience, narratives of resilience, if you will, that you won't want to miss because each one is truly inspiring. We hope this podcast, the learnings, the conversations, and the stories we experience together will be like one of those tanks of water that Janice referred to that it will refresh you and sustain you and give you life in the midst of whatever you're going through. So with that, let's jump into our topic today, resilient leadership. We couldn't think of a better person to engage about resilient leadership than Dr. Todd Bolsinger, whose most recent book published in 2020, right in the midst of the pandemic, is Tempered Resilience, How Leaders Are Formed in the Crucible of Change. And much like his book, our conversation with Todd was so full of insight, so rich with material and yet so poignant and concise that you may want to listen to it twice so you catch it all. I'm so excited to share our conversation with you. But first, here's an excerpt from Bishop Huey's writing about resilience. Ecologists define resilience as the capacity of a system or enterprise to absorb disturbance and reorganize so that it retains its core purpose and identity in the face of dramatically changed circumstances. The more that one can build capacity to absorb disturbance and maintain function, the more resilient that thing becomes. Resilience work requires that we constantly reflect on what we are doing and why we are doing it. Some congregations and leaders will have the spiritual capacity to deepen and grow in these seasons of loss and renewal. They are like those described by the prophet Jeremiah, quote, a tree planted by water, sending out its fruits by the stream, It shall not fear when the heat comes and the leaves shall stay green. In the year of the drought, it's not anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit. These are the congregations that are clear about their purpose, engage deeply with their neighbors, and courageously embrace the rebuilding of their communities. However, some congregations will no longer be capable of sustaining life as they knew it, particularly regarding their buildings or previous style of pastoral leadership. Some churches will close. They will relocate or sell their property. Yet even there, God continues to call people of faith to imagine and to create a new normal such as non-congregational forms of faith that dare to live out the love of God and neighbor, justice, mercy, kindness, and generosity in these wildly disruptive times. We are already seeing signs of these new creations. For example, a congregation is closed and its space becomes affordable housing, a community center, or a green space for neighborhood children. 
Such resilience is the work ahead of us. It is the work of building capacity to absorb disturbance and maintain function in our healthy congregations. It is the work of imagining and building a different future. This work may be done by the conference, a nonprofit, or another faith community. And it is the primary task ahead of us for at least a generation. So how are people of faith and community sustained in these difficult times between the times? I believe they will need large reservoirs of hope, purpose, and courage. Joining us in our conversation about resilient leadership today is Todd Bolsinger, who just wrote a fantastic book about resilient leadership entitled Tempered Resilience, How Leaders Are Formed in the Crucible of Change, which we'll be digging into in our conversation today. Perhaps you know him best from his book, Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory, which is one we use and recommend often in our work at TMF. Frankly, it's on my short list of books every church leader needs to have within arm's reach today. So following 17 years as senior pastor of San Clemente Presbyterian Church, Dr. Bolsinger currently serves as senior congregational strategist and associate professor of leadership formation at Fuller Seminary. You can follow Todd on Twitter at Todd Bowl, that's T-O-D-B-O-L, or text the word CHANGE to 66866. Welcome, Todd. We are so glad you're here. Thank you, Lisa. It's really nice to be with you. So you talk in your book about how when we think about resilience, it usually falls into two categories, surviving in the face of harsh personal adversity and uh, bouncing back from a failure or setback and then continuing on. But you go even deeper. So talk with us about how you think about resilience. Yeah, thank you for asking. It, you know, so there's lots of books and lots of conversation about resilience, especially at the end of 2020 when we've had this pandemic and global recession and social unrest. I mean, people are really trying to figure out how do you hang in there? How do you stay in the middle of the things we're called to do? And for me, the most helpful definition came from this person named Andrew Zolli, who basically describes resilience as the capacity to maintain core purpose and integrity. Maintain core purpose and integrity in the midst of a changing world. Now, if you spend five minutes with me, you know that a maintain is not a verb that gets me out of bed in the morning. I'm not a big maintain guy. But what really matters in times of change is figuring out how do you maintain the most important things, especially when we might have to lose a lot of things. How do you maintain your core purpose and integrity? And how do you stay in the thing we are called to because it's really important when everything, every part of us might want to just give up. And so uh, that's the way I think of resilience. I think of it as that capacity to do that, to maintain that core purpose and integrity. And I think that's actually a very transformational and formational goal that, that has to be attained. And Todd, you're, you're, the subtitle of your book is How Leaders Are Formed in the Crucible of Change. Well, here we are in the crucible of change right now, to say the very least. Could you talk more about that phrase, um, crucible of change, and what your observations are about this time in particular and the potential for leadership formation during this time of change? 
Yeah, thank you, Bishop. You know, crucible is a language that shows up in a lot of leadership literature. They often talk about leadership as a crucible, and a crucible where leaders find out their identity in the in the struggle and the challenge of leading. What I discovered in the last five years traveling around the country talking about adaptive change through Canoeing the Mountains is that very often I would get invited to really nice places to speak to really good folks, and then someone like the bishop would invite me to dinner and then say, hey, thank you for coming. I don't think we have anybody who can do that. <laughs> and so I was, I was like, well, wait a minute. I got to do a better job of training people. And then it was really very, the kind of a tender moment because they would say, look, I don't know if we have anybody who has the stomach for that. And one pastor said to me, you know, I think I can learn to lead change. I'm not sure I can survive it. And so we started realizing that the crucible of change, especially the faster the change is going, the more disruptive is really hard, but the hardest thing is right when you need to rally folks to a mission, it's your own internal people start to pull back. And so the giant crucible for most leaders and the giant challenge isn't the external challenges, as strong as they are, it's the internal resistance from people who want to kind of give up and go back. And you see this happening right now during the pandemic with lots of churches, right? You have pastors and leaders all saying, you know, we want to come out of this better than ever. We want the church to be more vibrant witness. And you've got church members saying stuff like, well, when can we just get back to singing? And I don't blame them. I mean, I I haven't sung with a congregation in, right. a, in nine months, right? I, like, I, I sing my faith. But it's the only thing we're doing is trying to figure out how quickly we can get back to you know, potlucks and fellowship dinners and stuff, then we're going to miss an opportunity. And the crucible is actually having to help people go through the change. The congregations, the people, the people you lead go through the change that in the transformation that's, that is called for by this moment. That's the real challenge. Okay. This feels really important because um, when we think about a crucible and, and you talk about this, about a applying heat and experiencing the heat. Will you talk a little bit about what you mean by the heat? Because it may not be what, what we normally think of. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the imagery is a blacksmithing metaphor. And I, and I live in Los Angeles, right? So, so the, <laughs> I, I went to this urban blacksmithing community. There has not been a horse there in a hundred years, but there's a group of people who like practice blacksmithing as an art. And my wife happens to be an artist. So we go into this blacksmithing class, beginning blacksmithing class, and you walk into the place and it's literally, there's so many forges going on. It's warm in there. Like you're, you know, it's like, Oh, this is hot. And you realize, yeah. Every single tool in there can kill you. Like this is a place where serious work is done. But if you just walk into that place and think you've done enough, you haven't transformed anything. You actually have to take steel and make it even hotter. You got to put it into the forge. And what I kept thinking about is my my dad is a guy whose favorite quote on leadership is from Harry Truman, right? If you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen. Well, I want to say to most leaders, actually, it needs to be even hotter than the kitchen. And, and that's what makes it so difficult, is that you have to actually go into the place where, for most of us as leaders, the hardest thing about leading change is, our, is having to grapple with our own vulnerability. How do I lead people when it's in a completely unprecedented, unpredictable, uncharted territory? They are looking at you for answers, and the only thing you can say with complete integrity is, I really don't know what we're going to do next but we are going to get through this together. And that's a hard moment. It's a vulnerable moment. 
And that's the vulnerability of self-reflection is where all the transformation into a resilient leader starts. So I want to say that back and see if I'm hearing this well. So we normally think of the heat, the heat of the kitchen, if you will, that's not even hot enough. We normally think of it as like all the things that are going on in our culture. We think of it as the heat of the pandemic and the change that it's causing. We think of the the anti-racism movement and the white supremacy tension. I mean, just we, we think about all these tensions and difficulties and we think about that as the heat. And I'm hearing you say very clearly that the heat is actually heat of self-reflection mm-hmm. that causes us to face our own vulnerability. Am I hearing that right? Exactly. So if those who would read the book would know that the exemplar of a tempered, resilient leader all the way through the book is Dr. Martin Luther King. What people don't realize is when he was stepped into leadership, one of the very first things that happened is he had this crisis. He had to come before God and say, why would you choose me? And it's in that moment of honest self-reflection that we see in his journals that we realized he had to go to a deeper place to lead this movement, especially a movement that would be shaped by forces on both sides. Some who thought they were being way too radical and disruptive, you know, like white pastors who wrote him a letter that he wrote that he had to respond to in the letter to the Birmingham jail. I'm I'm very sensitive about that one because those are mostly Presbyterian pastors who wrote a letter saying, How dare you disrupt our town? Right? Mm-hmm. How dare you disrupt our town with a with a walk down the middle of the street with people in their Sunday best on Good Friday. Oh, that was so disruptive. And then on the other side, he had people, not just clergy saying he was being too radical, but he had others who wanted to go to violence and having to hold his convictions right there in the middle of it because he had this conviction about transformation and the transformation of the entire culture and of all people. Holding that required him to actually deal with a lot of his darkest doubts. He had to go to a place of self-reflection, and it's out of that self-reflection that the transformation begins to happen. And for many of us as leaders, The hard part about leadership is we thought when we got the title that that would be enough. (laughs) We thought, oh, as long as I have the power and the authority, that's enough. You don't realize the minute you step in there is actually when your biggest doubts, your greatest challenges are you're going to be facing. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. So there is so much in the book that that I would love to dig into and pull on these threads and and even through the whole movement of this image that you use of blacksmithing. Uh, but I'm going to jump us to uh, another piece that you talk about where you talk about the character qualities of a resilient leader, teachable, mm-hmm. attuned, adaptable, tenacious, um, all leading to resilience. And, and I'm wondering how you identified these characteristics, and why you think they're required for a tempered, resilient leader? Well, the first, the early, some of the most popular literature on resilience, think of like Angela Duckworth's book on grit. It's a great book, but what it really talks about is developing tenacity is really, really important. Well, what most people don't uh, get is that there's a process to even developing tenacity. So what I wanted to do is go back and, and identify one of the qualities that we see both in leadership literature and particularly in spiritual formation of the kind of leaders who have the ability to persevere under trial, right, if you think of it that way. And what you begin to realize is it starts actually with humility. Like the central quality 
of spiritual leadership is humility on both sides, both the leadership literature side and on the spiritual formation side. But humility is not self-effacement. It is teachability. It means mm-hmm. that even when I am the expert, even when I am the, the pastor, the leader, the bishop, the whatever, I have to continue to be a learner. So it's so for so what's interesting is resilience and tempered resilience, which is a very particular way I talk about resilience, starts with the capacity to continue to be a learner and to take people through learning. And then it builds on empathy, which is what attunement is. Em- hmm. Empathy is not just past- something that we use for pastoral care. Empathy is what we need for leadership, because when you attune to people and they feel cared for, they will trust you and go further into their own pain and further into their own discomfort if they don't. So teachability and attunement, and then adaptability, which is the wise application of our values. It's discerning do, what do we hold on to and what do we lose? What do we hold is critical that we cannot, we have to be stubbornly cling to because if we lose this, we lose our identity. And then what of all the rest of the other stuff that we have to be willing to lose? That adaptability is really necessary for tenacity because that's where creativity and innovation and possibilities come from. And then it leads to tenacity, the kind of strength that is needed. And what's interesting is that the spiritual practice that leads to tenacity is actually lament. Mm. So in each of them, I give some spiritual practices, but lament is really where we come to grips with, we believe this is, we, we tell the truth about how hard this is, and we have hope to stay in it. And that's, a, from a spiritual point of view, tenacity is built through the spiritual practice of lament. So it's a process of formation all the way through. That's so helpful. Um, so helpful. And it, it leads me to that wonderful story you told in the last chapter of the book, in the epilogue, where this woman asks you a question that may be secretly being asked by every pastor these days, is why should anybody work so hard and face such resistance for so long? It's the big why question. I know you're bound to be hearing that as people you move around the country. So what do you say to our listeners who uh, mm-hmm. want to know why? Yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, it's really where I started, right? People saying, I don't think anybody has the stomach to do this. And I had to feel like I had to come back to it at the end. And the ultimate why, in one sense, is as simple as Jesus saying that the most important thing that we do is not one thing but two. Right, So Jesus disrupts the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, by saying equal to it is loving your neighbor. And that's completely disruptive, right? That was, I mean, there's a whole set of scholars that think that was the moment that led him to the cross, is how dare you say that loving people is the same thing as loving God. God is one. There's one God. God is the one we serve. Jesus says equal to it is loving your neighbor. So there comes this deep moment for every leader to recognize all we're doing when we're leading change is we are trying to take our communities of faith and help them be faithful to that calling. As much as we love God, we must love our neighbor. If our neighbor is in pain and our neighbor is in need, we must be willing to be transformed so that the gospel can meet that need, so this community can meet that need. That's what the transformation is. So when people say, you know, why should I do this? In one sense, it's... um, I don't know any other way in a rapidly disruptive world to be able to fulfill Jesus' call to love our neighbor. I just don't know any other way. Because left to ourselves, we will love God and we will make ourselves comfortable. 
and we wow. will pass by our neighbor. Wow. That is so important for us to hear right there. It also makes me think, I mean, as I think about what it takes to get us out of that place of comfort, we'll mm. love God and make ourselves comfortable. Ouch. Mm. <laughs> um, I, it makes me think about that part of the, of the metaphor of the book where you talk about stress and that yeah. stress makes a leader, you know, in a time when, frankly, everybody's feeling stressed. Will you say a word about what you mean by that and how yeah. stress can make a leader? Uh, to understand this, let me just go go back a piece in the whole blacksmithing metaphor. So yeah, the black, please do. The blacksmithing metaphor came because um, I actually was visiting Washington, D.C., and I saw the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial and saw the section that says, that right there on a piece of rock says, we'll build a hue out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope. Hue, that's the verb, hue. And it comes, of course, from the, and that, that famous I Have a Dream speech, which most of us know probably by now in history, the I Have a Dream portion was actually uh, extemporaneous. He actually brought, it wasn't, in the, it wasn't in the notes. It's because Mahalia Jackson said to him, tell him about the dream, Martin, tell him about the dream. And so he launches into it. But what you don't realize, if you're just used to hearing the I have a dream speech, is it starts with Isaiah 40. There's a vision of the world being transformed. And then he says, with this faith, I go back to the South. Let's just think about that for a second. He's looking at 250,000 people. Many of them have come from the hoses and the dogs and the jails. And he says, with this faith, this vision of a, of a world that God is going to change, we will go back into the struggle. We'll go back to work. We'll get back to the marches. We'll get back to the work. And then he says, with his faith, we'll be able to hew out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope. We'll be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. So we go back, not to be dynamite that blows it up or a sledgehammer that smashes through it. We go back to be a chisel that will transform it, that will take a mountain of despair and turn it into stones of hope. And when I hear that phrase, I think First Peter, right? Let yourselves as living stones come to him who is a living stone and be built into a dwelling place for God. I hear him saying, with the faith that we have that God is going to transform the world, we go back and become a tool that God can use to make his presence known in the world right in the place of despair. That's the call. I say that because what you end up finding then is this imagery of a chisel that is a tool that is tempered is, is, re, is something that has to take place through the formation of steel that happens over a process of time. And that process of taking raw steel and turning it into a tool that can transform granite into stones or despair into hope is that process that we're in together. And it's the process that reminds us that we have to be in it all the time in our own work. And that's ultimately where the kind of the notion of tempered resilience comes from. And this is the the image you carry all through the book, but it's it's in the heat, it's in the stress that we are formed yeah. in order to move from being raw material, if you will, to being a tool yeah. that then yeah. makes tools. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. so, um, so, so, um, um, so I went to this blacksmithing class to learn this because I thought it was interesting. And I found out that the person who is the president of the blacksmithing community was a woman who was an artist. So I asked if I could visit her studio. And she said to me, she took me to her studio, which is this amazing place. And she said, here's the thing you need to understand. Every single time you take a hammer and you pound on steel, you're adding stress to the steel. 
it gets shaped and stronger. You're taking raw material and you're transforming the molecules by the pounding. But this is why it has to also be heated. Because if you pound on just cold steel, then it won't get shaped, right? It has to be heated up and vulnerable. It has to be held on an anvil, which is really important metaphor for the relationships. But it is in the pounding of the shaping, which is what I believe the spiritual practices do to us, that stress is added to the steel. And that very same stress makes it stronger so that when you then use the tool, it has the capacity to go through the to go through the rock. Now, here's the irony. The same pounding that shapes us, that adds stress to us, is the exact same thing that adds stress to us when the tool is used. So what happens is every single time you are being used in a hard place, more and more stress is being added to you. You get stronger. But if you keep going and keep going and keep going, eventually you become brittle and you break. She looked at me and she said, I can pound this piece of steel until I can finally break it. So you have to have a combination of adding the right amount of stress and also relieving stress. And a tempered steel is steel that has had stress removed so that it's not only stronger than the raw material, but is also more flexible. And that's the sweet spot. It's between soft and brittle, not hard and, and, hard and brittle. It's, it's right in between both. Okay, this this is really important because this is tempered resilience, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so bring that home to us. Like, think about what does that mean for a pastor today in very stressful circumstances? How how to to kind of keep that that to strike that balance or or that that yeah. sweet spot, as you say? Yeah. So, so it's two things. One is it's to know that when we are uh, being formed and we are being used to bring transformation, it is going to add more stress to us. And this process is going to strengthen us. But if all you do is continue to pound away, you will eventually explode. So you have to have a, a rhythm of leading and not leading. So the book is really how does tempered resilience happen through reflection relationships, and a rule of life in a rhythm of leading and not leading. The reflections of the fire, the relationships of the anvil, the rule of life is the shaping hammers, and then there has to be the rhythm of leading and not leading. That's the cooling process. And so for many of us, what I, what I often say to leaders is, you need to have places in your life where you know you're called to lead, and you need places in your life where you are not. Mm. You are just, you are, you know that this is not mine to transform. This is mine to enjoy, to receive, to take in. And, the, and this is important that I have both places in my life because I need to have places where I am relieving my stress so that I can get back to work. This is where the spiritual practices come in that you talked about too. And, and really, even where you began, I mean, that resilience happens when we're in touch with our identity and our purpose, our core, mm -hmm. so that we can lead out of that that feels really important yeah yeah the raw material of a leader this is throughout the book you'll hear that there's all these paradoxes this is one of the parts that is just been so fascinating to me right so strength comes from vulnerable self-reflection is, is a really important thing that the vulnerability 
of leadership requires relational security. So, so it's the hotter you're in, the harder you're in, the, the thicker your anvil needs to be, right? Mm-hmm. So the notion that you need more relationships when you're in leadership, not less. You need many more, not less. And one of the key parts of it is that the raw material is a grounded identity. And, and the, where that comes from is, is this notion of a grounded identity is it means that your identity is grounded in something other than your success as a leader. Really resilient leaders aren't the kind of people that say, I'm going to do this or die. No, no. Really resilient leaders are the people who say, I am grounded in something much bigger than this. And we see this in the life of Jesus, right? Before Jesus gave a sermon, did a miracle, confronted a power, exercised a demon, he went to the water and heard, you are my beloved child. You are the pride of my life. Eugene Peterson translates it. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us need to be grounded in something other than our success as a leader to know that we are then able to be resilient to the thing that God has called us to be. So, Todd, we've heard you talk about rule of life. You've mentioned it a couple of times already. Could you say more about that, why it's important, what what you mean by that, and how do you make it happen? So when I talk about a rule of life, I'm using that part of the tradition that says that you want a cohesive set of spiritual practices to grow in spiritual maturity. So like uh, the monastic orders had a rule of life that would, that they all shared together, I think every Christian, especially every Christian leader, needs to be really intentional about the set of spiritual practices that he or she needs in their life in order to be faithful to your calling. Now, what I've discovered is that many of us have spiritual practices that we've done for years. They're dear to us, right? They're like our favorite practices. So like I would say, when I first decided to follow Jesus, I was a teenager. And my spiritual practices were practically monastic. Like, like, I, was, like I was a youth worker, so I was poor. I was, committed to cel- I was committed to poverty. I was single. I was committed to celibacy, whether I wanted to or not. I was committed to like, <laughs> you know, so like, but I was also committed to reading the Bible, praying, going to church. Those things were great. But now I'm in a totally different place in my life. And so I remember when I became a pastor of a church and I realized I'm going to need to study the scripture a lot more to preach every week than, say, reading a chapter of the Bible every day. And I'm going to need to have a deeper prayer life because I need to pray for my congregation. So becoming a pastor transformed my spiritual practices. What I want to say to most leaders today is, if you have you had a moment to rethink the spiritual practices you need in the face of the changes that you are called to lead through? So what I do in the book is I create a set of, of, like, I call people to a rule of life, a set of intentional spiritual practices for the very purpose of creating resiliency in your leadership. And, and again, Dr. King is the, metaf- is the example for this. There was a set of covenant practices that every person who was committed to the nonviolent movement had to, to take on. You had to commit to in order to join in the marches, including every single day reading the scriptures and praying for your enemies. And I think there, if you start thinking about the fact that many of us, especially if we're in leadership, we, you know, we probably haven't taken a long time to reflect back on what are the practices I need today for the mission that I've been called to fulfill today and how might they need to change? And in the book, I give a few practices that are, that I've seen as being kind of common practices for resilient leaders. Re- 
really, um, just thinking about how we can get into a really comfortable place with Mm -hmm. our practices and then they become, you know, rote or perfunctory and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, to examine them in a way that says, what is God asking of me right now? And how do I practice a rule of life that, that feeds into that purpose Mm -hmm. that shapes me, helps me be formed for this purpose? Oh, I remember being a young Christian and reading the scriptures and being disrupted by it. Like, yes. do I really believe? Like, now I read the scriptures and most of the time it's just to bring me comfort. <laughs> like, right. there's nothing wrong, right? There's nothing wrong with that at all. Like, these are familiar words. Oh, how great this is. It's really different, however, to be in a moment where you start saying, what are the practices I need to become resilient? Ooh. Right. I, those are probably not things, those are things that are going to feel like they pound on me a bit. And there's some of those right. in there. Yeah, that turn up the self-reflection, that yeah, make, indeed. you know, give me new eyes to see that, yes. right? Wow. Yeah. yeah, that is so good. Okay, so the last thing we're asking all our guests is to uh, complete these three sentences. It's sort of a <laughs> rapid fire round, right? So mm-hmm. just first thing that comes to your mind. So the first, resilience is? Not natural. Resilience is, is, it needs, you need to form resilience. We all think we can just muscle it out and grip it out and rise to the occasion. We actually need to be formed for resilience. Yeah. Wow. That's good. So when I think of resilience, I think of. Well, I think, I think of um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I think of the people in the civil rights movement. I think of the African-American church that has been faithful for centuries I think of the immigrant church. Um, I think one of the things I think about is the people who have, who have come to the United States and brought their Christian faith and are not always experiencing welcome. I, I think about the church that is the, in the global South. When I think of resilience, I think of the Nickel Mines Amish, the group of people who um, forgave the man who killed their children. Okay, one more. If you want to cultivate resilience... You need to go on a process of formation, of reflection, relationships, and a rule of life in a rhythm of leading and not leading. I mean, that's that's really the emphasis of my book. Perfect. Perfect. So the book is Tempered Resilience, How Leaders Are Formed in the Crucible of Change. And Todd Bolsinger, we are so grateful for your time with us, for helping us really dive into resilience with new eyes. So thank you, thank you. So as we end this episode on Resilient Leaders, Bishop, what are your reflections or takeaways from today? Well, I am fascinated um, with Todd Balsinger's metaphor of the blacksmith, the forge, the hammer, the steel, the iron. And uh, I'm intrigued that he he took a class on blacksmithing. In fact, he practiced what he's talked about in the book by moving into something he knew absolutely nothing about, not the expert, but rather he immersed himself in learning and learning by experience. He's a remarkably vulnerable guy, and he practices that in the way he even went about writing the book. Yeah, and he and he really challenges us to move into that vulnerability, right? I love where he says 
that, you know, the heat that's required for change is hotter than we actually think right. it is, right? <laughs> and, and he specifically talks about that being like the resistance that we're going to experience from people. Like there's going to be even more than we think. And that heat is going to be hotter than we expect it to be. And so, you know, that's where he talks about this vulnerability that like we have to grapple with our own vulnerability. Otherwise, when we feel that heat, we'll retreat. So I love that. And and it's being in and out of that heat over time that helps or makes a person uh, more resilient. It's not the good times, but rather it's the movement in and out of the harder, deeper places of life. And the other thing that I picked up on that I think is really important for me to remember is that resilience is not natural. Like I... I I kind of think of people are either resilient or they're not, but, but the reality is, and he talks about this, is that resilience needs to be formed. It's not just that you muscle it out. It, it requires intentional like self-reflection and, and the building of relationships and even a rule of life. Like I, I just think it's important for us to remember, especially when we're in a really difficult time or really difficult season in the world, in the church, in our own lives, that we can form and strengthen our own resilience. That feels so hopeful to me. I so appreciated the way he talked about spiritual practices and the variety of spiritual practices and that that's for a whole lifetime and that resilience develops not by one incident or one time, but it develops, we become resilient over a lifetime. That is so good. So to you all who are listening, thank you for being with us. And if you have received some nourishment from this podcast, we hope you'll share with your friends and leave us a review. Until next time, may you drink deeply from the reservoirs of hope, purpose, and courage. Reservoirs of Resilience is a production of TMF's Leadership Ministry with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. The beautiful music in our episode is from Billy Crockett. Listen to more of Billy's music on YouTube and on billycrockett.com. Make sure to view our show notes and website for more information about all of our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at TMF's Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening.